More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Yes, America's Anchorman is away. And this is Mark Stein, your foreign virus coursing through the bloodstream of the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. We're here at Ice Station EIB. uh, And uh, I drove over the border earlier this morning, loaded up with uh, premium Canadian two-ply toilet paper. I'll be selling that off the uh, the back of the truck after the show. But don't try anything, because I got me one of these uh, fancy new uh, assault weapons that Joe Biden is all worried about, the, uh, the AR-14. Uh, it's uh, way better than the AR-13, so don't try anything. Yeah, Rush is out for a couple of days. We have your pals and mine, Ken Matthews. Todd Herman uh, coming in later this week, and then Rush will close things out. And um, Todd <laughs> Todd Herman, uh, I think this is at his Twitter feed. He posted a, a lovely thing this morning uh, of uh, a big moose wandering through his uh, his backyard, and he said that this is uh, God's way of telling him that the Lord will provide even in desperate times. So. Todd, even as we speak, uh, is uh, is dressing that moose and uh, settling in for a full bowl of moose stew uh, a little later. Um, Ken and Todd in later in the week and Rush. It's a busy news week. It is a Monday like no other in the United States for quite some time. I noticed just uh, I, I, I live in a lightly populated rural area, but I still notice that... Uh, Driving into the studio, there was nothing on the road because normally I find myself behind uh, some uh, Vermonter going at 28 miles an hour and have to pick the tiny little spot in the unbroken double yellow lines to pass the guy. Uh, and the and the Vermonter driving 28 miles an hour is not on the road today. A busy news week. Florida, let's get the politics out of the way first because the politics in some ways 
is the least important of this thing. Uh, Florida is still planning at this hour to go ahead with its primary, which is scheduled for tomorrow. And as you know, Florida is a state with uh, many old people in it. But the Florida authorities have said that they can handle it and uh, it is safe to go out and vote. This is this is a state that is by far uh, totally incompetent at holding an election in the best of times, but it still purports to be able to hold an election uh, in the midst of this uh, coronavirus thing uh, with uh, with 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 old people standing in line for hours and hours. Now, the interesting thing about this is uh, whether the poll workers who do not seem to me to be uh, and I if you're a Florida poll worker, feel free uh, to stop dimpling your chad and give me a call, uh, 1-800-282-2882. But they do not seem to be to be uh, necessarily the most uh, scrupulous human capital on the planet. Uh, the interesting question will be how many of them actually show up for work tomorrow when polls open, and in that case, how many more hours people are going to have to wait to stand in line. And just going on the anecdotal evidence of the uh, light traffic uh, around my own part of the world, whether uh, those Florida elderly voters will bother going out to vote. Now, that's interesting, because if the if the older people don't go out to vote, uh, that leaves a uh, an, uh, an electorate that skews artificially young, which works in Bernie's favor. Early voting, Bernie was riding high. So early voting, Bernie's doing really well in. Uh, if it is a younger skewing electorate, because old people, the Biden voters, basically everybody under 50 in the Democrat electorate is going for Bernie. And the older you get, the more likely you are to vote for Joe Biden. So if octogenarians and nonagenarians decline to go out and vote for Joe, that makes it more likely Bernie could pull off a surprise, which makes it more likely that the fellas controlling the Democrat Party will figure that out and change their mind about holding the primary tomorrow in Florida. Okay, that's the boring politics. I'll entertain, I'll entertain calls. If you really want to talk about that uh, Statler and Waldorf Democrat debate with uh, two codgers uh, coughing and sneezing over each other from six feet apart uh, and arguing about who supported which Senate bill in 1997... Uh, if you really want to talk about that thing last night, <clears throat> we'll, we, we can do it. Uh, otherwise, there's a lot of other things going on in the world. This is my favorite headline of the last 24 hours. From the Times of London, ISIS issues coronavirus travel advice. Terrorists should avoid Europe. It's advising, ISIS is advising its members to steer clear of Europe uh, because uh, and steer clear, in fact, of contact with the infidel uh, in case they become infected. And speaking as uh, an infidel, I'd say that actually directive works for me too. But it's getting serious when you know that ISIS are telling uh, their members to, uh, if you get the urge, if you, I'm telling you, if you get the urge, you should not self-detonate. You need to self-quarantine, not self-detonate, self-isolate. If you get the urge to blow people up, you must 
Go and blow people up in Africa because there's much less chance of being all your body parts in Europe. If you blow people up, they will be infected with the coronavirus. And then Allah will be furious because you will, when you get to paradise, you will infect all the virgins. And there goes the neighborhood and paradise will be infected with the infidel disease. And they've told, they've told people, uh, they've told their members to cover their mouths when yawning and sneezing. And that's particularly important if you're a suicide bomber, because if you cover, if you don't cover your mouth when you sneeze, uh, you risk uh, setting off the Semtex belt a couple of minutes early. So that could be a real disaster. The last thing you want, you know, is you're getting ready. This happened. <laughs> this actually happened to me in Copenhagen a few years ago. Uh, when uh, I was with the fellas from Yilland's Poston who published the Mohammed cartoons, and there was a che- one-legged Chechen. Who doesn't love a one-legged Chechen? They're comedy gold. And he was setting off to come and blow us all up. And unfortunately, he prematurely self-detonated in his hotel room. That's the danger of that. I'm, is uh, much worse if you're, if you're, uh, if you, uh, if, if you're sneezing and you're coughing. So that's, that's the, that's the update. It's getting serious. They don't want, uh, ISIS doesn't want, uh, to have all its infidels, uh, brought down by the, uh, corona, uh, virus. Incidentally, Iran, this thing is taking out big shot ayatollahs. Mexico, uh, Mexico is threatening to close the U.S. border because they don't want infected Americans coming down to Mexico. So do you realize this coronavirus has actually proved is proving more effective than anything else tried at uh, stopping ISIS, stopping Iran and stopping illegal immigration uh, from Mexico? That is quite remarkable. I have two things to say before we get one eight hundred two eight two. 2882. I have two, and you can call me up and talk about any aspect of this uh, fast moving news cycle. And it's very fast moving. There are twice the number of, of cases, but twice the number of cases in the United States of this thing that there were uh, on Friday, for example. So this thing is moving, is moving pretty fast. And by the way, all the number of cases is all rubbish anyway because of the big failure to get the test kits out. And so now we're being told that, oh, don't worry, uh, the uh, incompetent bureaucracy is on top of these things and it's going to get the test kits out. This is going to be the last week test kits matter because none of these, none of the test numbers are accurate. They're not accurate because China lies, Iran lies, Russia lies. America didn't get the test kits out in time to test. And in uh, Italy and Spain and elsewhere, they're too overwhelmed to test. So testing isn't going to make any difference. Forget about testing. Uh, What we're going to be engaged in now is essentially a a triage situation uh, moving forward, which is horrible. And I want to but I want to make two points about this right at the beginning. One is practical and one is philosophical. If you want to know how to think about this thing, uh, the statistic I want, you know, people talk about all this flattening the curve, flattening the curve. You know, the cliches take off faster than the virus and become annoying uh, <laughs> after, after just a, a couple of days. I, I'm tired of hearing about people flattening the curve. It sounds like some uh, 
Playtex 24-hour girdle, uh, the sort of thing I might wear before I go on stage or TV. Uh, flattening the curve, flattening the curve. I'm bored by it already. But the curve to flatten, the, the one that will tell you whether there's good news, flattening the death curve. Um, Italy yesterday posted the highest number of deaths of any country ever in since this thing began in a single day. Uh, up, I think it's uh, 359, something like that. I've been, I've been watching. They, they released the 24-hour death count daily in Italy at uh, 6 p.m. Central European time, which right now, because they haven't sprung into summer yet, uh, is 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern time. So we'll bring you those, because that's the one. Can they flatten the death curve? Right now, they've been in this hideous situation, and they can't flatten the death curves. So right now, uh, so far, Italy has seen uh, something that is th- proportionately a death toll equivalent to three nine elevens, right? Three nine elevens. I don't care what view you take of the politics of it. Three nine elevens is a big pile of corpses. Uh, that's the one I look. That's the t- statistic to see. Can they start flattening that death curve? Because if not. Uh, it's just a question of how many days behind Italy everyone else is. Switzerland and Spain are about four or five days. Uh, Germany and France are about eight or nine days behind Italy. Uh, the UK and the US, the Surgeon General said today, if you don't uh, believe me on this, uh, Trump Surgeon General said we're two weeks behind uh, Italy. So is is the UK. They're they're the numbers. The uh, that's the practical thing. Watching that Italian death number as to whether you can flatten that death curve. The other thing is uh, the other point I want to make is philosophical about how to think about this thing, and we'll get into that in just a moment. One eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. Mike. Uh, made it into New York City uh, to to operate and twiddle all the knobs that keep this thing on the air, uh, coming in by a deserted train into a deserted city. And uh, Greg uh, is also there uh, taking care of things. Mr. Snurdly is monitoring things from afar. Fast-moving day, a jittery day on the stock markets. Uh, we will bring you all the news between now and the time we close things out. And almost immediately after we go off air, uh, I believe the president's coronavirus task force will be holding their latest press conference. 1-800-282-2882. Mark Stein in for Rush. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. Um, I said uh, I wanted to make a kind of uh, philosophical point uh, before we before we get uh, deep into individual aspects of what's going on around the world, um, you hear talk about the the politics thing, and yeah, there is politics. There is politics in all this, and we we saw it the other day with uh, you know Nancy Pelosi trying to ram through this uh, zombie apocalypse uh, Planned Parenthood supplemental funding bill that she's all hot for. Uh, the, every the politics is what it is. But there's something that at this stage transcends politics, because unless you've got like a a super in control political leadership, uh, the politics has to impact the bureaucracy, which as a practical matter means it's like turning round 
uh, the Titanic after you've hit the iceberg and you're already sinking. It's hard to turn in those conditions. Uh, and you can look at um, the various places this thing has sprung up. You can look at what's happened in China. You can say, yeah, well, America's not like China. America's not like Iran. Uh, 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 America's not like Italy. America's not like Spain. You know, uh, China doesn't have a First Amendment. Uh, Italy uh, doesn't have a Second Amendment. That's all true. That's all true. But all these countries, whether they're totalitarian dictatorships, whether they're socialist basket cases, whether they're uh, theocratic tyrannies, uh, whether they're advanced Western democracies, when something like this happens, they all depend on bureaucracies. And oddly, oddly enough, the bureaucratic mentality transcends whatever ideology it's operating in the interests of. That is why uh, if you read uh, Kafka, if you read uh, almost anything by Kafka, if you read The Trial, if you read The Castle, uh, if you read any, that that is why Kafka is still read. Not because we're living in the kingdom of Bohemia uh, in uh, a hundred years ago, but because, oddly enough, bureaucratic behavior in the kingdom of Bohemia a hundred years ago, as distilled by Kafka, is remarkably similar to going to the DMV in the early 21st century in the United States of America. There is something about the bureaucratic mindset that transcends the systems it's supposed to be operating in the interests of. And you see this, uh, all over, the, the need to self-protect above all else. That's why the FBI, for example, the president tweeted about this over the weekend. The FBI has just announced that it's mysteriously lost all the files on General Flynn. You remember this guy, General Flynn, the guy whose savings were exhausted, life was ruined, family was ruined because he committed the crime of misremembering to the FBI, which is a very Kafka-esque crime, actually. He would have recognized that. Uh, and yet, mysteriously, they've, they announced uh, over the weekend, because a coronavirus, as uh, one of uh, Tony Blair's advisors said on 9-11, is a very good time to get out news we want to bury. So the, uh, the, the FBI announced that it's mysteriously lost all its files. No one, and here's the thing, none of those bureaucrats who did, we're expected to believe that, and none of the bureaucrats telling us they've lost General Flynn's files will pay the price for it. Just as all the complete useless tosspots who uh, were around on 9-11, 9-11, have either retired on government pensions or are still in their jobs today. Nobody was fired for a fiasco. Uh, and 9-11 uh, is another useful thing about that. Bureaucrats' systems are always geared up to fight the last war. So on 9-11, when those guys seized the planes, everyone thought it was 1973, and they were demanding uh, some money or some prisoner release and being uh, and and going to take the flight to Cuba or to Libya or whatever. Uh, bureaucrats, bureaucrats. There's something about the bureaucratic mentality, uh, and that's why, as I said, the politics of this isn't really worth talking about because you know at a certain point when pe people are dying, politics becomes unimportant. But the overriding bureaucratic mindset does become important and there are far more commonalities between 
an Italian bureaucracy and a Spanish bureaucracy and even an Iranian bureaucracy and U.S. bureaucracy than people like to uh, admit. That's that's a, a very important point. And now we saw it with the chaos at O'Hare and Dallas-Fort Worth over the weekends. These are people who are coming in. This was the last chance for Americans to get back from high-risk countries. So let's say you're an elderly granny uh, who's flying in from Europe to get home before all the planes stop. And you've taken care of yourself because of what's been happening in, uh, in Italy and Switzerland and France and Spain, not to expose yourself. And then, and you're an elderly American granny flying back and you land, uh, at O'Hare and you're held in a packed corridor for four hours because Bozo the bureaucrat who's on the gate can't, can't get up to speed. So the, the, no government, I don't care whether it's American or Iranian, has the right to infect its citizens. Hey, great to be with you. Uh, we have Ken Matthews, we have Todd Herman, and we have um, some new guest hosts we're trying out coming in toward the end of the week. What's his name? Rush? It's an unusual name. You sure about that? Yeah, he's going to be uh, he's going to be coming in later uh, in the week. Uh, but by the way, if you do not want to be discombobulated by a sinister foreign guest host, uh, you might like to check out uh, the latest edition of the Limbaugh Letter. This is, I've got, I'm looking at the hard copy. You can get it digitally or you can get it in hard copy or you can get it in both if you go to RushLimbaugh.com. Um, but if you're a uh, Rush fan, doesn't matter whether you've been listening for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you won't want to miss this and you'll want to have it in hard copy. I've got it. It's an absolutely beautiful edition with a uh, super stylish photo uh, I don't know how they managed to get I don't know whether this was an official government photographer or whatever, but it's Karsh of Ottawa standard, I would say, if you know your black and white photographers, of Rush receiving his Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, and then inside, uh, there's lots of other photographs, and Rush actually gives his account of that day uh, when he thought he was just going to have a day of tedious and painful and uncomfortable medical tests and he was sitting around in a t-shirt and shorts and the president called him and said uh, you need to rustle up a suit and tie and uh, we're going to get you to washington uh, for this it's a it's a fantastic issue it's a lovely issue um and and uh you know it's not like it's not like a regular edition of the limbaugh letter it doesn't have the big interview in the middle or anything like that it's it, it really is just a, a lovely souvenir of what was a remarkable couple of days in Rush's life. And, uh, and, and just the picture on the front is worth it. If, you're, if you don't subscribe to the Limbaugh Letter, it will be the last print publication on the planet. Uh, it, it's well worth getting. It's uh, not a big, bulky thing that will clog up your mailbox. Uh, but everything in there is uh, premium and worth it. And all you need to do to get it is go to RushLimbaugh.com. Uh, click on the uh, Limbaugh letter button. This is an issue you do not uh, want to miss. Um, I just want to uh, – oh, by the way, I did say we'd entertain – I'd like anyone who wants to talk about the Biden-Bernie debate to actually explain why it is that it's worth talking about <laughs> before anything else. I watched these two guys. First of all, it was really a, a bizarre look for the Democrat Party. 
Every, every time Rush or I say anything that even remotely offends the media matters types and the snowflake types and the triggered types, uh, we get a thousand tweets saying, oh, well, your party is just the party of old white men and you'll all be dead soon. <laughs> there were two. The Democrat Party had had two not terribly well-preserved specimens of the old white man species there for two hours, and it was a bloody long two hours. And as I said, this has been a fast-breaking news cycle, and they were asked, the, the, the Biden thing, I must actually get you the transcript of that, because I'll gladly uh, read out some portions of what, where we got the Biden transcript here. This was just an, an incredible thing. He, he, he was just uh, talking about, uh, you know, his plan for the coronavirus thing. Uh, and he was saying, he kept, they kept coming back to what, what you should be doing. And he was okay for the first couple of minutes. And then, uh, the, he started actually, uh, talking more generally. And he goes, what we need to do is we need to be in the situation room every day. And we have to bring together everyone in the situation room uh, together. Uh, to address what is really the seriousness of the virus that we're addressing. And once we do that, when I'm president, we will be in touch with all the leading people uh, who are in the Situation Room to come together and talk about the situation. Well, thank, thank you, uh, thank you, Mr. Vice President, for laying out all the specifics there. Bernie, meanwhile, he just def- he he tries to... Uh, he tries to fit the news into essentially his stump speech. I always thought he was sort of nimbler than uh, Biden, but he wasn't good last night, you know. Uh, he, he, his thing is just to take his, his essentially Cuban worldview and fit whatever's happening into it. It's not a good look for the Democrat Party, and it does remind you, you know, I love this. People say, well, the thing about the thing about, uh, you know, the thing about this coronavirus is that there's no need to panic because it only kills people like over 60, 70. Uh, OK, OK. Have you had a look at the Democrat Party lately? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who's that going to take out? If I were Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> uh, Joe, for a start, Joe Biden began the debate by actually coughing and touching his mouth, which you're not meant to do. Uh, and that would clear the situation room in nothing flat if he were in there. Uh, and then you get uh, Bernie uh, d- sniffling and insisting he has no symptoms of the virus. You know, Trump took the test. Trump took the test and has come out negative. I'd be interested to know, see Bernie, uh, to see Biden, see Nancy Pelosi take the test. But you know, when they say all this, they go, oh, uh, you know, uh, it only affects old people. OK, well, that's been bad news in Iran, because they're run by uh, geriatric ayatollahs uh, who are dropping like flies. Uh, what do you think it would do to, say, the Senate Justice Committee? Did you take a look at that during the Kavanaugh hearings? Uh, Diane Feinstein, Chuck Grassley, Pat Leahy. What? The average age of the Senate Justice Committee <laughs> is above the average uh, death rate for the coronavirus. There's going to be there's going to be a big hole in uh, in in uh, congressional leadership uh if this thing uh, were to take if this thing were to take off
Now, I was talking, I just want to finish up a thought I was saying about the bureaucracy, because it's about the bureaucracy. And what's bad, uh, yesterday, for example, yesterday evening, I believe, I think there was this kind of 6 p.m. Eastern press conference, and the Homeland Security guy was there, and he was explaining uh, that, yes, uh, what happened at Chicago, Dallas, Fort Worth, these other airports shouldn't have happened, uh, but now it wasn't going to be happening anymore. Okay, okay. What's interesting to me is when you saw, the only reason we're talking about this is because people uh, took pictures on their cell phones while they were waiting, which actually, according to, according to the Department of Homeland Security, is illegal. Uh, you're not allowed. When some officious twerp from Customs and Border Protection says, uh, you've got, uh, you got to put that cell phone away. I had this actually crossing the Canadian border. The person I was in the car with actually got out the cell phone and was ordered to put out the cell phone. Uh, and um, I said, uh, you can't tell her to put out the cell phone. That's uh, turn off the cell phone. That's uh, not constitutional. The courts have ruled on that. And she said, yes, it is constitutional. And uh, so we had a little bit of a showdown over that. And so, so we're only seeing so-called picture cell phones that shouldn't be. The only reason we know this is because cell phones that shouldn't be used were being used, uh, which is good. That's the spirit of liberty. Screw these bureaucrats! If they're cramming you all in like 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 cattle, uh, you should you should post those photos. But what was interesting to me is that how far does it get past up the change? Uh, the chain. The bozo on the gate says, uh, this is just what we're doing. We're doing this. None of them object. However many guys they had at O'Hare, six, 12 guys, none of them see anything wrong in exposing high-risk people to low-risk people who may be carrying uh, the virus. Uh, so they just keep them all together. All those people, presumably there's some kind of controller or whatever of uh, CBP at O'Hare. Uh, and he was obviously cool with it. And presumably there's some regional director or whatever, Illinois or whatever region that is of CBP or Homeland Security. Why couldn't, why did it take basically 24 hours for it to change? That's the bureaucracy. And when you have a story that's on the march every 24 hours, the nimbleness of, so it's all very well being reassured by the head of Homeland Security, that that's changed now, that's not going to be... It would any sentient person, higher than an earthworm, any creature more sentient than an earthworm, but evidently more sentient than a bureaucrat, would have said, well, look, we've got tons of people coming in. Why don't we just say, if you're 60 and over, you go that way. If, you're, if you've got an underlying condition, you go that way. And if you're uh, under 60 with no underlying conditions, you go this way. And then you would have had three corridors full of three different groups of people. Why didn't they do that? Because that's bureaucracy. When basically, uh, basically, when the fecal matter hits the fan, it's beyond it's beyond uh, the the wits of politicians. And you uh, to modify Donald Rumsfeld, you go to war with the bureaucracy you have, and the bureaucracy you have. Uh, it, wasn't it wasn't impressive in China because they're basically doing the biddings of people who will kill them and jail them if they don't do as they're told. 
It wasn't, it wasn't impressive in Iran because they're all theocratic nutters uh, who, 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 who think that Allah wants you licking holy relics that have been licked by 5,000 other people. It wasn't very impressive in Italy because they reacted late and were overwhelmed. And on the evidence, you know, of what happened at O'Hare and Dallas-Fort Worth in, as a practical matter, uh, our bureaucrats weren't that impressive either. It's not impressive in Canada. I'm not making a pro-Canadian point here because uh, the Canadian government is basically lying to its citizens. It says they've instituted special enhanced screening me- measures at Canadian airports and everyone is saying, uh, actually, I just landed two hours ago and there were no enhanced screening measures. There's a touchtone screen uh, that says, I acknowledge that I am being asked to self-isolate for the next 14 days. <laughs> and you click and you press the acknowledge button. You know, a good way to get the coronavirus is touch-tone screens, by the way. That in itself is very helpful. All bureaucracies, doesn't matter whether they're capitalist bureaucracies, socialist bureaucracies, uh, totalitarian bureaucracies, theocratic bureaucracies. In the end, they're bureaucracies, and it's one great global union. Mark Stein for Rush, more straight ahead. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. Got a bit of a problem with our our uh, call screening system uh, today. Uh, we're about like 90 minutes away from total societal collapse, so things are fairly fast moving. Uh, but do we have, um, I'm going from memory here, Greg, do we have Georgia on the line? Okay, let's go to Georgia on line three. That's the way we used to do it in 1978. I don't know why they introduced any of this computer stuff and if my memory serves georgia's from the great state of maryland is that correct georgia yes it is thank you for having me today my pleasure what's what's on your mind today georgia georgia's (laughs) on my mind what's on georgia's mind (laughs) where's ray charles when you need him Just an old sweet song keeps whatever it is on George's mind. We're about to find out. Uh, (laughs) Oh, well, boy, did I get a good uh, chuckle on your commentary regarding ISIS, uh, how coronavirus is saving us infidels from ISIS. Um, I'm calling to inform you about how the coronavirus may have saved pre-born babies from bloodthirsty liberals uh, hell-bent on terrorizing them. Oh, right, right. Um, last week, um, Senator Lee, a very pro-choice liberal Democrat, introduced a bill, SB 664 in the state of Maryland. And uh, to the surprise of all of us there that day, she withdrew the right to privacy bill. And in the letter, the withdrawal letter, it states at the bottom there um, that the coronavirus prevented the panel from attending uh, the hearing that day. That's that's amazing. So when they say that the coronavirus does not kill babies, uh, it basically means uh, that it puts uh, abortion absolutists eager to hammer through their their uh, infanticide uh, legislation from getting to the legislature to hold the meeting to start killing babies. That's basically what's happened in Maryland. That's Thank right. that, That's great. That is actually great news, uh, George. A, a lot of the, you know, a lot of these things, when people, and I've said I'm less, because we're in a public health crisis, I'm less interested in the politics of it than I would in normal things. 
But if there is a political uh, upside to this, it's essentially that the liberal Democrat worldview, not just on abortion, but on all kinds of uh, other aspects like single-use grocery bags, for example, uh, from from the profound to the trivial, is the liberal worldview actually get is useless and irrelevant, uh, and actually a big part of the problem. And Georgia is what's in what's fascinating to me is that Nancy Pelosi couldn't resist putting Planned Parenthood in a coronavirus bill. This is actually one of the reasons why legisl- legislation is dysfunctional in America, because every bill that's about something becomes about something else. And I've done this shtick for years on this show, when I say you can say what you like about George III and the Tea Act, but the Tea Act was about tea. George III, uh, the parliament at Westminster, when it wanted to screw over Americans on the tea, didn't also take tack a Planned Parenthood supplemental funding provision on the back of it. They kept it about tea. The minute legislation is not about what it says it is, it's a bad thing. And Georgia, bless her, has just brought her, because, because it's, it's actually monstrous and evil, the expansion of abortion in this country, the way you now have openly infanticidal politicians like that wretched mammy singer who's the governor of Virginia. You know, uh, I'd much rather, you know, uh, when he's uh, talking about uh, when the old mammy singer's singing about being a baby back in his mammy's arms, right? The baby in his mammy's arms, these guys in Virginia, they want to kill. Uh, this state senator in Maryland passed a bill that they wanted to kill. And that's all that's all the the more that stuff gets put on hold. Good, good, because it's irrelevant. Uh, It's not just wicked, which it is absolutely wicked, but it's irrelevant at a time of crisis. And the fact that Nancy Pelosi couldn't resist. Go on, Nancy Pelosi. That's the high. What's the average age of people who've died of it in America so far? I think 80. So it's about seven years younger than the Democrat leadership in Congress. Carry on giving press conferences about Planned Parenthood funding, Nancy Pelosi. You're dicing with death just doing that. Uh, Mark Stein in for Rush. We have lots more straight ahead. Uh, Jim Bonnets uh, uh, tweets that uh, a lot of those immigration guys are still enjoying the opportunity to meet large numbers of people. Yeah, not just meet them. Uh, but fondle them too. Though that actual homeland security thing are being patted down by TSA. Is that really necessary in that situation? People who pat down th- hundreds of people a day are patting you down. The the proper response to that is the Charlton Heston, you know, take your stinking paws off me, uh, you damn dirty TSA operative. Why hasn't that been suspended? Yes, America's Anchorman is away, and this is your undocumented Anchorman. Thrilled and honored to be here, as always. Uh, I usually say around this point in the show um, that if you're fleeing the country, do stop by and say hello, because we've got a big sign on the border saying, uh, on the highway saying, Last Rush guest host before the border. Uh, but there isn't really any point in fleeing the country uh, anymore because Canada, the, the interesting thing about this is the one, the one great clarifying moment 
the thing that Donald Trump did early on was stopping incoming flights from China at a time when it made a difference. One of the interesting things, he's banned, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, uh, the 17th. And it's going to be a super quiet St. Patrick's Day. All the Irish bars in Boston and everywhere and New York all going to be closed. And no one's going to be, if you're Irish, come into the parlor. If you're Irish, this is your last chance to come into the parlor. Because at midnight tonight, from midnight tonight, uh, Irish, English, Scottish, Welsh, the last four exemptions... Uh, from Trump's Euro ban on entering the United States, that uh, the uh, the Britannic loophole will be closed, and uh, those four groups of Anglo Celts will no longer be permitted uh, to enter the country from midnight tonight. So, if you're Irish and you want to come into the American parlor, you're you're in the last eleven hours of being able to do so, and then you're in the same category as all the Italians, Germans, Austrians, Swedes, and those other Euro bums. You can't get in either. The one great thing he did, the one great thing he did uh, was uh, right at the beginning, when no one was really paying attention to all this thing, was to ban flights from China. The Canadians, if you're, as I said, if you're thinking of fleeing the country to Canada because they'd be doing things so much better... Uh, first of all, Canada has a joke government. It's got a joke government that lies. Bill Blair, who's Trudeau's put in charge of this thing, he's um, he's the guy who was a police chief in Toronto. Awful, ghastly, horrible, anti-free speech, anti-liberty police chief. He should be running some Latin American basket case, cruising around in reflector shades because he'd make a little, he'd make a good strutting Latin American cow dillo. And he's been saying, oh, there's all these extra screening things. No, you're invited to touch a screen saying that you acknowledge you've been invited to self-quarantine. And in touching that screen, you're increasing your risk of getting the virus and your need to self-quarantine. Four flights, uh, all flights from China are still landing at Vancouver, where they have, uh, I think, uh, how many, is it four or is it eight flights today? They've got a lot of flights today coming from China to Vancouver, because it's Hongkouver, as they call it out there. Uh, all those flights are still coming in. All those flights are still coming into Toronto, to Montreal, um, and they all do... Uh, the same, the 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 the, the same. Uh, they're all going on as if nothing has happened, and this is a guy, Justin Trudeau. His wife's got it. His wife's got the coronavirus, just like uh, the Spanish Prime Minister's wife has got the coronavirus. It's a mysterious thing. When you look at actually the numbers worldwide, it appears to affect men more than women and yet oddly when it comes to prime ministerial couples it seems strangely to uh, affect the women and not the men so officially we have all these prime ministerial consorts like mrs uh, trudeau who've come down with the coronavirus uh, but none of the prime ministerial prime ministers themselves appear to have. that's interesting too uh, again it's a bureaucratic thing your governments are lying to you right <laughs> And that's not unusual. doesn't matter whether it's China or Canada. There's a lot of that about. But, what, but, the, but the point here is Trump took action January. 
It's still possible to fly for uh, Chinese people to fly into Vancouver and just simply drive south of the border. And all these things, it, it gets to weak. You get into weakest link territory uh, with uh, weakest link territory with this stuff. Now, uh, as I said, I'm not so interested in the politics of this because the politics is whatever it is. So, you know. We now know that it doesn't matter what it is, uh, whether it's the zombie apocalypse or 9-11, but that, that Nancy Pelosi's priority is to increase abortion, abortion funding. Uh, actually, that's one of the things that may come out of this, is that uh, there will be a little baby boom blip uh, in nine months' time uh, from all this quarantining, because there isn't anything to do if you can't, if you can't leave the house. Um, but... But the the I I was I was uh, tweeted by uh, R J Romano he says what about the Illinois governor ordering restaurants and bars closed for two weeks, you know, as I said that's why I pay attention to the Italian situation in Italy and Spain, uh, and increasingly in France, uh, too everything except grocery shops and pharmacies are closed. And not, nothing's open. Nothing's open. They experimented for a few days with keeping the bars and cafes. In Italy, they experimented with keeping the bars and cafes open till 6 p.m. Uh, and making people, requiring people to stand a meter apart from each other in the bars and cafes, which is three foot and change. Uh, and they had that actually in New York last night where uh, they had 50% occupancy rules, and the fire department was sent to inspect bars and restaurants to ensure that they were only at 50% occupancy. Can you think of a bigger waste of emergency services time than going to Bud's Bar and Grill and uh, checking that only 50% occupancy is taking place. Well, he abandoned that 24 hours later and said that they'd all be closing. <clears throat> uh, R.J. Romano says, what do those unemployed workers do? Turn to the streets. And you're right. You're absolutely right. It's an economic tragedy. It's an economic tragedy. But we're now in the stage where... Uh, for example, China announced today that there's been a 13 percent. It, its manufacturing has dropped 13 percent. Um, and yes, China lies. So that figure might be an underestimate or whatever. But it means that as everything in every American's house comes from China, just turn up everything. Just go into your kitchen now and look at the bottom of every cup. Uh, everything in every American's house comes from China because that's the model uh, that the bipartisan halfwits uh, who've been running this country for 30 years uh, decided to enable. Nothing uh, Americans do uh, – Amer 40, what is it? 40% of Americans now do service jobs. Well, there's no service jobs now because everything you can do has been shut down. So there's no there's no there's no restaurants there's no bars there's no Disney World there's no Broadway there's no baseball there's no NHL uh, so all the front of house staff at Hamilton on Broadway at the Richard Rogers Theatre they're all off all the front of house staff at uh, your hockey and basketball stadiums they're off uh, because that's what we do now because the people who do this those service jobs. 
uh, used to do jobs building things, making things. Now everything's made in China, and China's got a 13% drop in manufacturing. And when it comes to things that matter, like the 95% of our pills that get made in China, uh, who do you think they're going to be taking care of first? That's, that's the, again, one of the other fascinating aspects of this, that all the one-worldism, the globalism, stops the minute disease stalks the land. China's China's going to be using all those. We, we keep getting to oh, American pharmaceutical companies where they're they're the best in the world. They're absolute. They're the there's nothing like the research departments of American pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, that's true. But all those all those top of the line American pharmaceutical companies make everything in China. So the people sitting on the pill supplies right now are the Politburo. Uh, when 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 the powder keg goes up, people become very tribal, very tribal. Uh, you have uh, the European Union. The theory of the European Union is that you pool sovereignty. And uh, the honest members, uh, the honest Europhiles admit this. You cede sovereignty, in effect, to a central body. And in return, the pooled sovereignty of whatever it is, 26 nations is stronger than your own individual sovereignty. So you enjoy the benefit of the pooled sovereignty. What's the first thing that happened when Italy decided to quarantine itself? Germany refused, point blank, forbade any German... Italy asked the European Union and its fellow members of the European Union for help, and Germany forbade any of its doctors to go to Italy and help people become very tribal uh, their tribal instincts kick in unfortunately as with uh, the chinese monopoly on pills the survival instinct kicks in just a wee bit too late to survive so we should we if you want to know about uh, long term uh, lessons we can learn from this that's uh, all well and good and medium term but it's actually a short term lesson we should we should uh, we should be learning to get pill production back to to actually decouple from China. China is going to screw us over, and the best thing we could have right now, because uh, any virus, I'm you know we're encouraged by these, the, the the vaccines and things, but they're going to apply to next year's coronavirus season, if at all. Uh, right now, uh, we are going to be running out of aspirin. Uh, once China decides that it needs the aspirin for itself. You know, when the world gets a headache and you don't make your aspirin, you're going to have, you're going to be the guy waking up with the world's most awful uh, headache. And we made the aspirin, but we thought somehow we could rely on the Chinese Politburo uh, to be the ones who get to say, take two aspirin and call me in the morning, right? That's uh, Chairman Xi who gets to say that. He's the guy saying, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. How the hell was that a conservative policy? And that was the Chamber of Commerce right. That was the Koch brothers right. That was the Paul Ryan right. These these people who somehow thought, uh, you know, oh, we're still the biggest military in the world. We can, we can have boots on the ground in Chad in 24 hours because uh, we make all the tanks and we make all the planes. Unfortunately, everyone we need to climb into the tank and climb into the plane can't get an aspirin because we gave all that to China. 
So when we go to war over Taiwan and the South China Sea, you can bet how that's going to go. The folly and stupidity of the world's most... uh, That is, I said this weeks ago, before any of this coronavirus came up. You know, it's one thing to be governed by elites. When your elites are the most stupid people on the planet, this is where it goes. Mark Stein for Rush, 1-800-282-2882. I don't care what your view of this thing is. You're pro-coronavirus, you're anti-coronavirus, you think it's uh, uh, all uh, just uh, a lot of hooey, or you think uh, we're going to be facing the apocalypse in 72 hours' time. Whatever your view, uh, you want to talk about Bernie and Biden, the Statler and Waldorf Democrat debate last night, the two old, it's time to play the music, it's time to light the light. It's time to get things started on the Democrat debate tonight. That's great. You want to talk about that? Two irrelevant old codgers uh, recycling mumbo-jumbo. We'll talk about that, too. 1-800-282-2882. Mark Stein for Rush. I said at the top of the show that I've been tracking these uh, daily numbers out of Italy to see whether, because when they start flattening the curve there's a good chance that we might start flattening the curve because we're a lot more, because basically because the people ahead of them, Iran and um, uh, China, are just liars. And I've just looked at the numbers they released at 1 p.m. Eastern, just at the top of the hour, Um, and my Italian uh, is a little... uh, 27,980... So they've gone up another... Uh, three three thousand cases, and the death toll in Italy is two thousand one hundred and fifty eight, which is uh, that's getting close to the equivalent of uh, four nine elevens, four nine elevens, just basically uh, in a couple of in a, in a in a couple of weeks. That's that's serious. That's serious. Uh, so there's no flattening of the curve in Italy uh, that's discernible yet. And interestingly, for all the people who say it just affects old people, uh, a 40-year-old paramedic died in Italy, right? The medical staff is beginning to get sick and die from this. Uh, interestingly, the two states most affected in the United States, Washington State and New York, they both got uh, young uh, emergency room doctors in critical condition because to, just to do this kind of uh, ventilator stuff with seriously ill people, you've got to get up pretty close to them. And you, you get a touch too close, you cross a line, it's too late, you get it, you're sick. That's happened to emergency room doctor in New York and uh, in Washington State. Let's go to Vic in Atlanta. don't know whether he works for the Centers for Disease Control or whether he's uh, just uh, just freelancing in other activities down there. Great to have you with us, Vic. What's on your mind? Thank you. I'm uh, retired, and just oh. I have all kinds of time to sit around and watch what's going on. Okay, okay. Stay informed. That always helps. That's good. <laughs> I don't know if it helps or not. Uh. I have a question for you. That's it. No recommendations, no solutions. But I've been watching this since uh, the impeachment hearing ended. It's been, that's all it's mm. been on. It's right. amazing how it went from a failed impeachment to uh, something that's going to destroy the economy and inflict all kinds of pain on the country and destroy Trump's uh, chances, possibly. Mm. 
but my question is that when this started, China had uh, they jumped from when I did start noting it from like five thousand infections, and about a, less than a week later, I think they had fifty thousand. Right. It accumulated to about eighty thousand, right, and then it started spreading uh, to uh, Italy, United States, Germany, wherever. But since March or since uh, February, really, uh, at the end of February, they've maintained. That I think their maximum cases were like eighty thousand. Uh, I'm looking on uh, Google; it's the only place I can find any information about it. But they've maintained that level. According yeah. to that, they have no infections. And again, when I they jumped from five thousand to up, went up to eighty thousand, that seemed like an, an out of control. Uh, pandemic, and it's just leveled off. Now, my question is, no one is mentioning this in the news. And that seems like, you know, if you're looking for any kind of good news, that's good news to report about the pandemic, if it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And otherwise, is China lying to us? And if they're lying to us about the amount of new infections, what have they lied to, lied about in the past about this? virus you know maybe it means nothing to anybody else but it just it's driving me nuts it's that's an excellent question Vic because China started this thing uh, and China it's China's gift to the world there's I think 143 countries with this thing and 142 got it from somewhere else and the only country that didn't get it from anywhere else is China uh, it's a it's an interesting point, and I can tell you the answer to it. But we're up against an obscene EIB profit palooza that is looming imminently, and I will attend to your point, uh, Vic, in Atlanta, in a couple of minutes. Yes, great to be with you. Rush is taking a couple of days off. We have. Your pals and mine, the great Ken Matthews and Todd Herman, coming up. Uh, in the course of the week, Rush, Rush, uh, Rush will be back to close things out before the end of this week, and you know, God knows what things will be like then. But uh, the, the we, we're in an accelerated news cycle these days, so <laughs> he's not whatever it is we're talking about. Uh, he's going to be talking about something else because this thing is moving fast. Thank you for all. Your mega dittos and mega prayers. If you want to send a message to Rush, he really does read them and he treasures them. And he has a unique connection built up over a third of a century with millions and millions of people. Not many people can say that. Uh, not many people can say that at all. Most celebrity withers and dies Within 18 months, two years, it's very rare for it just to keep going decade after decade the way Rush does. And uh, as someone said, the day after Rush announced his lung cancer uh, and I was sitting here and someone uh, tweeted, uh, I think tweeted or emailed me and said, Rush is the best friend I've never met. And that's how millions and millions of people feel. You can go to RushLimbaugh.com and it's the third Button along at the top of the menu bar, and you can send Rush a special message. And I know a lot of people have said to me, well, I don't want to just send him a message. I've done like a greeting card or a photograph. Of, I've got a photograph in my club Gitmo gear or whatever. You can upload anything like that. There's also a little facility 
for you to upload a GIF or a JPEG or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, that will get to Rush. If you go to RushLimbaugh.com and just it's about, it says the Rush Limbaugh show in huge letters, the masthead. And there's a little horizontal menu bar above that. And you just chig, 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 chig along to the third button and you can send Rush a uh, special greeting there. I mentioned the uh, Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adam, Surgeon General of the United States, uh, said we're at a critical inflection point in our country. And I just want to go back to that question we were discussing from Vic as to why China, uh, where this thing started, appears to have it under control uh, and is down to just, you know, dozens of new cases every day. And this is a country with many times the population of um, Italy. And uh, I had someone, by the way, someone, Ginger Frappuccino, I think, tweeted at me that she didn't like my comparison, that what's going on in Italy is uh, four times, uh, comparatively four times the rate of 9-11. She didn't like that, and she thought it was irresponsible of me to keep saying it. Um, and uh, it's uh, and and she said because those two thousand two thousand seven hundred people have died in Italy. Italy is a population of about sixty million. America three hundred million. So you multiply it by five, and you get the relative uh, proportions. She doesn't think that's the way to do it. She says two thousand four hundred people died in New York versus 2,700 died in Italy. I mean, this is sophistry, and frankly, it's stupid, obnoxious, and offensive. Um, you know, most of those people uh, who've been overwhelmed uh, come from northern Italy. In fact, most of them come from Lombardy, uh, which has a pop. I'm just going off the... Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong here. I'm going off very approximate... Uh, 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 memories here. But my memory is that Italy, ba- uh, New York basically is just shy of 20 million people, New York State. And Lombardy has about 10 million, right? So actually, as a practical matter, Ginger Frappuccino, uh, that's in, if, if you want to start comparing province to province, state to state, we can do it that way, and you still lose in whatever point you think you're making here. But that's not how people think about it. Americans get upset. This is a natural human thing. Americans get upset when Americans die and don't actually pay too much attention when Somalis die or Tajiks die or Tuvaluans die. That's, as I said, people get tribal in crisis. So what mattered on 9-11 was that America died. That's why it wasn't just on Eyewitness News Channel 27 in New York. It was a national story. And likewise, 2,100 people dying in Italy, even in just northern Italy, even if predominantly in Lombardy, is a huge Italian story. Because just like Americans care when Americans die, Italians care when Italians die. Now, if you don't care when Italians die, that's fine. That's fine. There's a lot of there's 200 countries in the world and most people care about the people that they see when they look out the window. But the time to care about when foreigners are dying is when something is coming your way. In, when you're just, as the Surgeon General in the United States said, 
you're just uh, a little further along the same trajectory. And so far, all the trajectories, and you can look at this, there's graphs out there, all the trajectories for Italy, Spain's following the same curve, just it's like everybody is doing the same cross-country trail, just a few hundred yards behind each other. And we're two weeks behind Italy. That's what the Surgeon General of the United States said. Um, and that in itself is a snapshot because basically we have a two-week incubation period so that whatever numbers you're working off, uh, in the old days, you, you couldn't take a photograph on your telephone. Uh, you had to take it with a Kodak uh, Instamatic and then you had to take your roll of film to a camera shop and uh, two weeks later, the camera shop said, your prints are ready for collecting, and you got a snapshot of whatever was going on two weeks ago. That's actually what these numbers are like. They're, they're in themselves two weeks, two weeks behind the curve. But I want to go back to what Vic was saying as to why uh, the Chinese have uh, apparently, officially, been able to get this thing under control. Now, the first thing to be said is that everything the Chinese Politburo tells the world is a lie. It might be a lie that trends in the direction of the truth, or it might be an outright inversion of the truth. But it is not the truth. It is whatever number, whatever number they are releasing is whatever number the Politburo has agreed is useful to the Politburo. But assuming for the, the purposes of argument that what they're saying trends in the direction of the truth, that they have got this thing under control, to the point now where they're saying it was invented by the Americans and the Americans planted it in China. Uh, that's what they're doing right now. And, and at some point, you've got to bet this is going to happen in the next week or two weeks. If their numbers should go back up again they'll be blaming it on an Italian or a Spaniard or an American flying back into Shanghai or Beijing and reinfecting the Chinese. So any moment now, they're going to be starting to blame, uh, <laughs> blame not just America for inventing it, but some European for bringing it back to China, because they lie. But at the moment, on the, uh, on the, oh, breaking news, my own dear country, run by the uh, 12-year-old self-quarantine prime minister. By the, by the way, I was speculating on whether he has, in fact, got it. If he had, I believe he would be the first 12-year-old. But people say this just affects old people like Bernie and Biden. But Justin would be the first 12-year-old world leader uh, to come down with the coronavirus. Uh, Canada has just announced it's closing its borders to all non-citizens and non-residents. Uh, so the northern border, <laughs> there's a, the maple, the maple curtain has descended on the 49th parallel. <laughs> now, <laughs> uh, on the 49th parallel. Just to go back to this Chinese thing that Vic answered. Uh, so officially on the, on, on the statistics now, there's more people, uh, the, the daily totals of who's getting it in Italy, never mind the whole of Europe, are now higher than China at the height of the epidemic. So let's take it, presume for the sake of argument that they're telling something that trends in the direction of the truth. How did they get it under control? Well, they got it under control because they're a dictatorship that uses slave labor. 
Now, the slave labour most of the time is making crap to buy in Walmart. As you know, and I'm not, this isn't something I wrote in the early 90s about this. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story about the, when I first came to my beloved part of New Hampshire. And I thought it was all small town. I thought I'd picket fence. I loved it. I thought it was so cute, so quaint, and never more quaint than at Christmas. And uh, one Christmas, I chanced to uh, find myself driving down uh, Route 5 in Vermont, on the Vermonty side of the Connecticut River, and I saw one of these little Christmas shops at a farm. There was a nice farm that every uh, November, December opened up a little Christmas store. And I thought this was great. I'd go and buy some knickknacks for my Christmas tree from this nice little Christmas store at a farm in nice, sweet, rural Vermont. And it's the, the store is full of knickknacks, all knickknacks. And I turn over the little Santa Claus to hang on the tree, and it's made in China. Everything in that store, in the nice little Vermonty farmhouse, was made in China. And I said, uh, you know, I wrote, I wrote about this incident then and said I wasn't comfortable having crap made in China uh, hanging all over my Christmas tree. I didn't, just didn't like it because I thought of China as a communist dictatorship. And I couldn't see why it was in the interest of the Western world to enable the Chinese Politburo to come up with the only economically viable form of communism. So you know when you buy those knickknacks that they're being made essentially by slave labor in China. Slave labor. And so what happened is that they redirected the slave labor to stop making crap for Walmart and do something else. And, the do and so they put up two new intensive care hospitals in 10 days because they had slave labor and they're a dictatorship. And that's why they flattened the bloody curve that we keep hearing about, the stupid flattened curve thing. They flattened the curve with slave labor. Now, in case you haven't noticed it, on in little sweet Route 5 small town Vermont, they don't have large numbers of slave labor, so they can't put up an intensive care hospital because apart from anything else, to get the permitting for putting up a new hospital in Vermont would take, you know, uh, what, five years, ten years? So we don't have the ability to just make something happen like that. The closest you can do is what Spain is doing, for example. They're using hotels as emergency hospitals. The closest you can do is what Boris Johnson, my dear chum in uh, uh, Westminster, is doing, where he's preparing to requisition those hotels and also use uh, army uh, hospitals. I was in an army hospital when I was a cadet many years ago. <laughs> I don't remember much about them, except I found the nurses rather sadistic <laughs> and inclined to make you, make you take your clothes off, even if you just had a slight cold. Um, uh, but th but that's, that's all you can do. You can't do the Chinese thing of ordering slave labor to build you new hospitals in 10 days. Uh, free societies can't do that. Now, um, uh, something else the Surgeon General said, and he left it as an open question. He said that he, he did pose a, um, a choice. He said, do we want to go the direction of Italy where, you're, where, where the medical staff are dying and a lot of them are demoralized? Uh, and that's to the point where a lot of them wouldn't actually want to come into work. They're simply overwhelmed by death because it's, a, it's like a... Again, I, you know, uh, this is, people who are used 
to seeing controlled, uh, rather antiseptic hospital death, and now just seeing people dead in corridors, where you've got you, you've got a forty-five-year-old guy who's been wheeled in and a seventy-five-year-old guy who's wheeled in, and you've got one ventilator. So you uh, have to give it to the forty-five-year-old guy and leave the seventy-five-year-old guy to die because the system's overwhelmed. And it's demoralizing people. They're getting sick. They're not shown, shown up to work. As I said, we already have two emergency room physicians in critical conditions in the two worst affected states here, uh, one in Washington state and one in New York state. So the Surgeon General says we have a choice to make as a nation. Do we want to go the direction of South Korea and really be aggressive and lower our mortality rates? Or do we want to go the direction of Italy? In Italy, they've got a death rate that's just under 8% at the moment, overall death rate, eight, just under 8%. That's high. That's serious. In South Korea, the death rate, I think, is about uh, uh, less than 2%. Um, but there's a reason for that. That's because after SARS, the world dodged a bullet with SARS. Uh, and... Uh, and and that's actually um, the, the world dodged a bullet with with SARS, uh, and uh, the Far Eastern nations, South Korea, Hong Kong, uh, and uh, Singapore, reacted to the dodged bullet and made preparations accordingly. The the Europe and uh, North America didn't, and we're about to live with the consequences of that. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Mark Stein for Rush. Lots more still to come. Mark Stein in for Rush. Let's go to Joe in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Joe, you're live on America's number one radio show. What's on your mind? Hi, Mark. It's good to talk to you. I'm glad you put me through. Um, my, my pleasure, Joe. I'm retired. I, I don't get out a whole lot. I have no desire to, but I had to go to my pharmacy today. And it's in a standard shopping center with the main store and small stores. So I pull in, I park, and I'm just observing. And you know those exam gloves they put on when they draw blood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people are putting on exam gloves before they walk into the store. And I'm looking at this saying, this is crazy. So I get out of my car, and I'm looking, and I don't exaggerate. Maybe 20 pairs are strewn throughout the parking lot already. Uh, mm. People are coming out of the store and dropping their exam gloves where they stand. Right. Yeah, yeah, real much, right? Like, that's going to help, you know, stop spreading this. No, no. It's, I know. It, it's it's interesting. Social norms. It's one of the most fascinating things, the point at which social norms just disintegrate. And as you say, you've seen people with these uh, surgical, clinical, antiseptic uh, gloves uh, these exam gloves, uh, they come out of, they come out of Walmart, they come out of, you know, fighting for the last roll of toilet paper, and then they throw all the <laughs> exam gloves all over the parking lot. Uh, Joe, it's, we'll, we'll talk about that a lot. This, this question of the breakdown of social norms, it's actually quite, uh, unnerving the speed at which it, uh, at which it can happen. Mark Stein for Rush. Lots going on. Fast breaking news day. We will get to it as much as we can in the final hour of the show. Lots more still to come. Justin Trudeau is closing, uh, Canada's southern border. He says, quote, if you're abroad, it's time to come home. Justin Trudeau telling Canadians, if you're abroad, it's time to come home. I, uh, 
I may have to uh, pack my bags and uh, and heed his call. I think he's. I think. I think Justin's talking to me. But I'm going to stick around for another hour on the Rush Limbaugh show. Lots more still to come. I just. I just want to clarify uh, what I said just before the break at the top of the hour. Uh, Justin Trudeau closed the Canadian border. Uh, the Canadian border has been closed, is going to be closed from sea to shining sea. Uh, Justin issued a statement saying, quote, let me be clear, if you're abroad, it's time to come home. And I had like a bazillion tweets and emails from people who uh, think that's he's just asking Canadian broads to come home. So he's asking Shania Twain and Kim Cattrall to just jump on a flight and get back to Canada. But he was, it's a broad one word, A, B. It doesn't mean he's asking Canadian broads, Canadian chicks, Canadian dames uh, to come home. He's asking, because uh, Justin doesn't roll like that. There is, Justin is a prime minister of no gender and no known gender, in fact. Uh, as you know, if you saw those pictures of him in I- India a couple of years ago, he toured India dressed as a Bollywood bridesmaid. He's not a gender, he's not a binary kind of guy. Whether you're abroad or whether you're a guy, whether you're guys and dolls, Canadian guys and dolls, he's saying it's time to come home. And if, But if you are a Canadian broad, uh, Shania, Kim Cattrall, uh, do go back because if it's going to be a long quarantine, having a broad, having a Canadian broad with you does help ease the stress. I'm not saying you have to have that. Uh, Andrew Gillum... The uh, Florida gubernatorial candidate and Democrat rising star, as you know, he was uh, <clears throat> he was disturbed at the end of last week, self-quarantining uh, with uh, a room full of crystal meth and a gay hooker. Uh, that can help you get through the quarantine, too. So whatever, you know, some people might uh, prefer a Canadian broad to help them through the self-quarantine. Some may prefer a Florida rent boy. Uh, to help them through the quarantine, like Andrew Gillum. I don't, I'm not sure whether he is still a rising star in the Democrat Party since all that came up. Uh, he was the mayor of Tallahassee Lassie. We all love that song. Actually, I haven't heard it in whatever it is, 30, 40, 70 years. Uh, my Tallahassee Lassie. But uh, Andrew Gillum appears to prefer to be holed up with a Tallahassee laddie. What, whatever whatever suits you. Getting through, getting through the self-quarantine. Uh, it's a it's a big breaking news week. A lot of these stories are on the march fairly swiftly. But basically, we're living under America in lockdown. And you can argue about whether that should have happened uh, or what or, or not. But it's it has happened. I mentioned this statistic about the 13 percent drop in Chinese manufacturing. Uh, the Dow is off uh, right now. It's I think it's about twenty thousand eight hundred. The Dow. It was last month, it was at 30,000. So it's lost a third uh, just since this thing started. So we're not actually going to be able to, uh, whatever the reasons for it, and no matter how you might feel about it, uh, we are going to be going into recession, officially recession territory. And the politics is baked in. They're all going to, you saw that with the Democrat uh, debate that they're all going to try and hang that around uh, around uh, Trump. And, and incidentally, what's happening in Europe? Europe is going down. Europe is being overwhelmed by this. Uh, Europe, all European city streets are empty. They've got police with loudspeakers telling you to get indoor, uh, go indoors. They've got drones 
flying overhead to make sure the streets are empty. So you, of the twin pillars of uh, the Western world, you've got half of it that's that's basically on total lockdown already and the other half going into it on lockdown. And you've got a third, uh, the Dow dropping by a third. We've got People who say that this thing, it's like a flu, so it's March. So flu season, this is round about the time flu season's coming to an end. On the other hand, flu season in Australia and the Southern Hemisphere is uh, June, July, August. And uh, yet here we are in March and uh, the coronavirus seems to be able to get a hold in Australia, which in itself is interesting. The fact is, on those things, no one really, no one really knows nothing. Then you have this business of the, uh, of, of the, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a seven uh, to eight percent mortality rate in Italy. That's when this gets. What I can't, what I can't stand is all the wasted time, the wasted time. You know, so I'm not interested in being told that it's racist to call it the Chinese virus because pointing fingers and uh, and accusing someone of racism is no use to anybody. You know, uh, Justin, who said it's now time to come home, Justin Trudeau didn't recognize that. Justin Trudeau is one of these bleating nincompoops who was saying viruses know no borders, like love knows no borders, viruses know no borders. Uh, the Florida, the the mayor of uh, Florence in Italy, Firenze, the model of the mayor of Firenze, Florence in Italy. He was saying, "Hug a hug a Chinaman." Uh, I know you're not meant to say Chinaman, but we're talking about funky Chinamen from funky Chinatown. So uh, that doesn't count either, because in serious times you got to get serious. So he's uh, talking uh, about going out and hugging Chinese people. This is what he was doing last month. Because the coronavirus, it's causing people to shun Chinese restaurants. As AOC said, two days before she then said, for God's sake, don't leave the house. All the, the political correctness is the first to disappear. That mayor is not saying, don't hug, uh, you know, you've got to go and hug Chinese people today. He knows that political correct, people hunker down. People become very tribal. So it's a question of how you define your tribe. And here's Justin. Justin Trudeau. Oh, you know, uh, the virus knows no borders. He has had planes landing from China, planes that Trump stopped in January, landing at Vancouver today. Vancouver today. He has had a joke system. Uh, I, I know someone who uh, landed at Toronto a couple of days ago and uh, was told coming back from, uh, you know, an infected area, high risk area, they've got a little screen, a touch tone screen uh, and a bored woman. It's all bureaucrats, a bored woman. She's not. She could wipe down that touch tone screen just even peremptorily. Between, but she's not. Anytime you touch a touch tone, you know, these things, these things are, uh, are baked in now. The trajectory we're on is baked in. And what counts is the nimbleness of the bureaucracy, which is why what happened at O'Hare is disturbing, is disturbing, because it shows that no matter how many smarty pantses, clever guys like Chad Wolf at Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli at Homeland Security, 
you got your Dr. Fauci's, you've, you've, you've got that uh, blonde uh, lady or broad, as Justin Trudeau would say, uh, who's up there at the press conferences. Uh, all these people uh, can say what they like, and then it, it's everyone thinks the, the elite agencies are somehow different bureaucracies, different kinds of bureaucracies. So we're, we, we know the level that we don't expect anything when we go to the DMV. We don't expect anything when we go to the Department of Paper Shuffling. But we think the CDC is different. The CDC is, in fact, exactly like the DMV, but just with an even bigger budget and even less scrutiny. And so it's wasted the years. I, I was talking about this point, and I got kind of uh, off track and forgot to look at the track a clock. So I want to go, go back to it. But... The reason why Singapore, uh, South Korea, Hong Kong are handling this better is because they got screwed by the Chinese over SARS. China and Hong Kong still have completely different public health systems. So after SARS in uh, whatever it was, 2003, they totally revived. They basically, you can read this in my book, America Alone, The End of the World as We Know It, because I said it then that we dodged a bullet with SARS. And if it's not going to be, if, it, if it's not SARS, it's going to be something else. And Hong Kong, Singapore, South Korea, they grasped that and they completely overhauled their systems. Canada, which was the uh, main principal Western country to be clobbered by SARS, didn't do anything, didn't change anything, just went back to sleepwalking. But, but nor did uh, the U.S. got off lighter than that, and uh, so did uh, Britain and Europe and so what. And, uh, uh, and they didn't do anything. So the mortality, the differential in the mortality rate is reflected in that. For example, Singapore has 243 cases of this thing and zero deaths. Uh, just reading this tweet from Melissa Chen saying, life has pretty much returned to normal. People are walking around, mostly without masks. Shops and restaurants are open, and so schools are open. So that, so because they got serious about this after SARS, they had a system in place that could deal with it. Um, the, the Surgeon General says it's an open question whether we... He, he says we can choose to be Italy or we can choose... <laughs> Uh, to be South Korea. It's a sort of odd kind of thing to actually present it as a choice uh, at this stage. I'll say one thing, too. We ought to be thinking about what, when all this is over and, and uh, we've had the total societal collapse and we come out of the rubble, what are we going to do? Well, we should stop doing rubbish things, stupid things. For example, there's a reason why people invented single-use uh, disposable grocery bags uh there's a reason why you went to your local quickie crap and you got a bunch of groceries and you put it in the bag and you unload it in your kitchen and you throw out the bag uh, and one of the reasons is public hygiene so if you're standing at the checkout line in crappy chopper and you're behind like a nice little npr listening lady who's who's faithfully bringing back to the grocery store uh, every week, the same PBS tote bag uh, she bought in the Charlie Rose pledge drive in uh, 2003, 
Are that little old lady recycling, nice little NPR lady recycling, still using the same PBS tote bag from the 2003 pledge drive, she's bringing a bunch of new germs back into the store every time she goes. Because she wants to do something about sea levels in the Maldives in the year 2120. The Maldives sea levels will be just fine. Stop your narcissistic virtue signaling. Throw away that filthy infected 20-year-old PBS tote bag and start using the disposable bags again. All this is, this, this is what a society too stupid to survive does. Uh, the Maldives sea levels, nothing you do with your crappy PBS tote bag is going to do a thing for sea levels in the Maldives. And you, and you saw it last night in the Statler and Waldorf debate. It's time to start a music. It's time to light the lights on the Democrat debate tonight. You saw the two old codgers still talking about the ex- existential threat, still worrying about sea level. Everyone will be dying all around them. And then they'll all take your 20-year-old PBS tote bag to Price Chopper and infect a whole bunch of other people. It's all rubbish, that. Get real or drop dead. That's the choice. That's the choice. Mark Stein for Rush, lots more, including your calls straight ahead. Mark Stein for Rush on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Let's go to Lisa in Highland Beach, Florida, where the uh, Democrats are still insisting that tomorrow's primary will go ahead. We, we shall see about that. Lisa, it's great to have you with us on the show. What's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call, Mark. President Trump is a passionate and visionary leader, and seeing the impact now would be a great time to roll out an infrastructure plan for the near future with the municipal and private sectors for two reasons. One, to further strengthen the economy, starting with blue-collar workers, with the end game having the multiplier impact to help all industries, and two, to offer alternative investments in municipals as well as the investments in corporations involved in building infrastructure. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's I think that's not a bad idea. I think you could. I think the well, the other thing I think that's true is that uh, at a at a time like this. You the the danger of a, a crisis is that you always deal with the crisis. You stumble from one thing to another, and then at the end of the crisis, you forget all the long term lessons of the crisis. So that so the fact the fact of the matter is is that it's important that when or if uh, or whatever this this thing ends, that you have a lot of really solid stuff ready to go. The fact is the. If we're talking long-term lessons about this, Lisa, then it's the Democrats who ought to take the hit because it's basically been their approach uh, to the world that is that is found wanting in in a situation like this. The question, though, about something like infrastructure is whether anybody's really. Uh, at the White House, what they're trying to do, and this is the situation the president's in, is he's basically trying to impose his will on a massive bureaucracy that, as I said in in a couple of hours ago, is basically like trying to turn the Titanic after it's hit the iceberg and is sitting. You're trying to persuade people to actually rethink the whole way of of doing things. And that's when a, a really key executive 
comes uh, comes into place. What would you like to see in any new infrastructure plan, Lisa? Well, I think if he, um, first of all, he'd have to reach across the aisle because Democrats, you know, first of all, it would drive them crazy that they would have to support this because it does mm. have an impact on blue-collar workers and even unions. But right. I would like to see us, you know, have some infrastructure investment in places in the country that could use it the most, meaning bridges and, and uh, buildings and things of that nature. Uh, it's right. strategic. It's long-term. And it gives yeah. someone like maybe you and me something else to invest in, municipal yeah. Yeah. bonds, whatever have you. And even in the corporate structure with regard to the like Caterpillar and businesses that will benefit Absolutely. from it. Absolutely. And then they hire people, too. I mean, there's a whole uh, strategy here for the long term. And you know what, Mark? It offers hope. And yep, uh, yep, it's not yep. just throwing cash. No, uh, that's that's an important thing too. You have to when something bad happens. It's the old Rahm Emanuel line: "Never let a crisis go to waste." And to a certain extent, George W. Bush did, for example, when uh, after nine eleven, uh, when he wanted to do drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, uh, and all the Pat Leahy types resisted it. He should have hung that around their necks. He should have said, oh, "This isn't a time for my good friend Pat." to be playing politics with this, because the fracking revolution could have happened a generation earlier if um, if Bush had been able to shove down the throats of Pat Leahy types, their hostility uh, to any kind of innovation within the borders of America on those kind of issues. And this is a, this is a really important point, Lisa, the long the, the point of this now, we've just seen that we, we assume the Wall Street guys had different interests from the Main Street guys. So their numbers could go up on all their little magic number charts on the Dow industrials and all the rest of it, uh, while uh, Main Streets across America shuttered and the world's manufacturing moved to China. And we've now seen a third of it, a third of the Dow's value wiped off in the last couple of weeks. So the question is... Uh, we need serious decoupling. We need serious return of manufacture. If you can't man, sometimes if you're a small city state like Singapore, you don't actually have a lot of room for big fields and farming and uh, for uh, factories and all the rest of it because you're just a tiny little city state like Singapore or Hong Kong. But if you're the size of America from sea to shining sea and then halfway across the Pacific to Hawaii and onto American Samoa, you should be able, that's a place that should be able to have some manufacturing in it. Yes, America's Anchorman is away and this is Mark Stein, your Foreign virus, virus, gaily plashing through the bloodstream of the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. We have uh, Ken and Todd coming in uh, this week, and then some guy, what's he called, this new guest host we're, we're trying out later? Rush? I don't know the name. You sure about that? Uh, he's going to be coming in uh, after Ken and Todd, too. All coming up this week. Uh, another week on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Fast moving uh, week with all kinds of things happening. There was a Democrat debate last night. My God, it was uh, it was awful. It was just like uh, what was that film from the nineties? Uh, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, Grumpy Old Men. It was like Grumpy Old Men. 
but with no one in the Anne Margaret role. They should have had Tulsi Gabbard on stage just to have someone in the Anne Margaret role because when you're looking at Bernie and Joe, it helps to have Anne Margaret uh, around. Anyway, the 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 thing it's amazing how fast the last time I was here I was saying Bernie was a big wuss, big wimp. He had a couple of days to save himself before Michigan or his campaign was going to be toast. And to do that he had had to hang the corruption around Joe Biden's neck and he had to uh hang the fact that uh, Biden is non compass mentis half the time around Biden's neck. Uh, did he do either? Well, the closest he kind of got was uh, a, a little exchange that he had with him about uh, 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 where Biden had accused him of nine different, having nine different super PACs. And Bernie said to him, name them. <laughs> and uh, uh, and and actually, Joe Biden couldn't have named them, but Bernie characteristically didn't push back on it. And the fact is, you realize how, as I've said with the bureaucrats, what you want to see is evidence of nimbleness and quick thinking. And actually, that's not a bureaucratic thing. So that chaos that we saw at O'Hare over the weekend and at Dallas-Fort Worth, where freeborn citizens exercised their freeborn right uh, to take photographs that the Department of Homeland Security presumes to ban of the chaos and uploaded the chaos and forced the bureaucracy to announce that it was correcting the chaos. Uh, that's the bureaucratic response. It helps sometimes to be able to tap into the resources of, of the private sector of freeborn citizens, of people who aren't encumbered by a bureaucratic mindset. Uh, but we also saw that in the political class. We look, it was a terrible look, just a terrible look for the Democrat Party, the party that tells us that old white men don't matter anymore, that their America is on its way out, that the new America will be gayer and more transgendered and more Muslim and it will be more Hispanic. And it will be better because of that, because the old white men are on the way out and uh, and the Hispanics and the Muslims and the gays and the transgenders will frolic across the fruited plain in a new super gay, super Hispanic, super Muslim, super transgender utopia once all the old white men are out the way and the oldest white men you've ever seen are all that's left on the Democrat debate. They Neither of them look good. Uh, Joe Joe Biden ev evidently got his facelift on Obamacare because it looks like garbage. Uh, and Bernie is just there doing his thing like the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz <laughs> routine uh, where he looks as if he's been. So they're not like <laughs> you can mock Orange Man bad with his big blonde hair and all the but he's got a better sense of how these things look than those two old codgers. <laughs> and. Uh, it's just a terrible look for the Democrat Party, particularly when you've got a disease stalking the planet that <laughs> the, 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 the entire Democrat leadership <laughs> is the most vulnerable to. Can you imagine if, if this thing really took off? <laughs> who's going to be... Who's going to be... Who, Joe, do you think... Joe Biden was coughing, Bernie was sneezing... Have you listened to Nancy Pelosi recently? Diane Feinstein. This is a, 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 a this is like the the Democrat Party is like the old Politburo on the May Day parades 
in uh, in the Soviet Union and Moscow. They'd all stand there on the balcony uh, with one long unibrow stretching along the foreheads of the entire Politburo. And people would be uh, Andropov <laughs> and Chernyenko uh, would have died actually six months earlier, but they were still being propped up for the May Day parade. That's what the Democrat Party leadership is going to be looking like. If this thing, uh, if this thing takes uh, off, that's that's uh, that's basically what they've got uh, going on up. So I don't know. You know, I I just tried to game out the politics of this Florida primary, where they're determined to go ahead with it. Louisiana and um, Georgia have postponed their primaries. Now nobody likes uh, people getting nervous about the election postponing thing. And the Democrat side, because if the Democrats postpone a primary, it's sort of kind of, you know, uh, what's that hashtag that's that's trending martial law? They sort of get a bit nervous that if you postpone a Democrat primary, uh, it sort of kind of gives the president a bit of an excuse for postponing, say, the November election, which is already happening elsewhere in the world. The um, the. uh, it's not UK-wide. I think it's just England and Wales have local elections in May. And uh, Her Majesty's government has already announced that they're going to be postponed by a year till next May, May 2021. Imagine if Trump did that. So that's why the Democrats aren't really on board with postponing primaries, because they're worried that that will snowball. Uh, that, 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 that kind of gives uh, the, the, the dictator Trump uh, and, and actually, Rush made a great point on Friday, by the way, about the dictator Trump is now they, they, that senator who put out a tweet that Rush read where he's the senator's complaining that towns are doing stuff, counties are doing stuff and uh, states are doing stuff. But Trump isn't doing anything. This is the guy they've been saying for, for, for three years. They've been saying the president needs to understand that he's not a king. He's not an emperor. And now they're saying, hey, <laughs> come on, emperor. Come on, king. What are you doing? Uh, so there's a little, like a little bit of a conflict uh, going on there in their approach to this thing. But I would be so, – so the Democrats don't want to actually start postponing all these primaries. But you've got a situation in Florida, which is uh, North America's most incompetent jurisdiction. Can't run elections – you know, uh, dimple chads, hanging chads, you know the way it goes. Long lines, uh, mysterious boxes of uh, dimpled votes uh, turning up uh, around the back of Democrat headquarters uh, uh, 10 days after the election. All the usual flim-flam. That's on a good day. On a bad day, uh, are they likely to be able to cope with this? Are poll workers even going to show up? We're already seeing, for example... Uh, New York, where they're saying that the kids shouldn't go to school, but we're going to keep the schools open to hand out lunches and breakfasts and dinners and all the other things that citizens apparently no longer do in some of these uh, school districts. Uh, And teachers are refusing to show up for those. Teachers are not showing up for those. So will poll workers show up tomorrow? And more importantly, I mentioned this at the top of the show, Will Democrat voters, which ones will show up? If you're 70 or 80 or 90 and you're in a high-risk group, uh, will you take the trouble to get in your car and go and stand in line with all kinds of people coughing and sneezing all around you? 
for a couple of hours. And if it's the old people who don't get into the cars and go down to vote, who does that hurt? It hurts Joe Biden. Biden's uh, Biden's supporters get more enthusiastic the higher up the age scale you go. So if you're like over 80, you're for Joe Biden. If you're over 70, you're for Joe Biden, a little less so. If you're over 60, you're for Joe Biden, a little less so. Over 50, everyone in the Democrat side is for Bernie. So if old people don't show up, Joe Biden's going to lose Florida. So at that point, do all the clever guys, this Tom Perez at the DNC and your Donna Brazils and all the rest of it, do they start saying we've got to call off Florida? Right now, Florida is scheduled to go ahead, scheduled to go ahead, as I think they say in Florida, uh, scheduled to go ahead. Will it? I don't know. I don't know. As I said, it's a fast-moving time, 24 hours. A lot can change. Mark Stein in for Rush. We're going to take your calls straight ahead. Mark Stein in for Rush on America's number one radio show. Let's go to Cory, Pennsylvania, critical state uh, in the upcoming election. If if there is still one upcoming, uh, I need to see the latest update on that. Uh, but Pennsylvania, very important to uh, the Trump re-election uh, strategy. Uh, and Bob is there in Cory. What's on your mind today, Bob? Hey, Mark. I just wanted to say first, thank you and all of the other guest hosts for filling in for Rush. We, as the audience, really appreciate you supporting him in that way. Well, uh, well, let me let me... Well, let me just say something on that, Bob. You know, uh, nobody really likes guest hosts. <laughs> one of, it's one of the most despised occupations on the planet. And uh, and I don't mind doing it. Like, I love doing it once every two, three, four months. And it, it gets a little... I would love it if we didn't have to be here uh, quite as often. And I'm sure Ken and Todd feel the same way if we didn't have to be here quite as often as we've been in the last few weeks. But this is a little EIB emergency all of its own. And we are honored. We are privileged to be able to help out uh, the indispensable man on the American right uh, at this time. And we're all looking forward to Rush taking this time and then coming back roaring out of the gate uh, later this week, as he will be. But thank you. Thank you for that, Bob. Thank you. You're welcome. What, what, hey, I just uh, had a couple of comments. Okay. One thing is, I'm a, I'm a gym owner. I have a small gym here in Cory. And right. my question to you is, in all of this, where do the numbers warrant this reaction from our governments? I, I don't get that. Well, I would think. Well, yeah, let me ask you a question. How is how is the attendance at the gym? Are you already hurting economically at the uh, from what's been going on these last few days? Well, actually, my membership is up overall, but right. as far as attendance goes, I am up again today because people are off. Right. So right. they're able to come into the club. I've had one cancellation for personal training, and that was from a couple who are um, 82 and 83 years old that I train, and um, I said to them, I had just disinfected, there was nobody in the club at the time, and she goes, yeah, we're still kind of afraid, and I said, I understand, right. and just, we're going to play it day by day. Yeah, and, and I can certainly understand that from the 82-year-old's perspective. On the other hand, I right. can also understand that if you're 22... 
and you don't want to be sitting around in the uh, lazy boy recliner all week long and there's no shows to go and see there's no concerts to go and see there's no disneyland to visit there's no nothing to do uh and so uh, there is a benefit obviously you're to, to, to a certain extent uh if if you're stuck at home this week and you're open unlike Disneyland and Broadway and all the other stuff, then you're, you're one of the few options for going out and actually doing something. And that's young people will do that. But the reason for the numbers, you asked how, why the numbers make us panic. Um, for example, when I, what are we, uh, March the 16th. So a week ago, a week ago, the, the total number of cases, and again, this isn't even an accurate number. But the official number of cases was just over 600. Uh, Now it's over 4,000 a week later. So when it's increasing, so the the trick with all these things, it's like every contagion movie you've ever seen, is that there's two cases and then there's four cases and then there's eight cases and there's 16 cases and then it's doubling to 32 and 64 and 128, and people start noticing it, and 256. Unless you can lower that trajectory, you're in, you're in huge trouble. It's much easier. You know, you, one way to look at this, Bob, is do you remember just going back a couple of weeks ago when this story was in the news? And they said, oh, we've had a case in, uh, in uh, King County, Washington. And this is someone at an old folks home uh, who had contact with someone who'd recently been in China. Do you remember the way they could trace it all then? They could trace it all from Fred uh, to Mabel to Gladys to Nigel. They could still trace it then because the numbers were small and now the numbers aren't small and they can't trace it and then we're going to get to the next stage where it's just triage where it's like a a a world war one field hospital on the somme in 1916 and you're just making snap decisions about who lives or dies like they are in italy so so the numbers shouldn't make you panic bob but the numbers as i said are basically a snapshot of what the reality was when these people became infected a couple of weeks ago. And that's why uh, they're interested in not having people wandering around, not because the 28-year-old is at risk, but because the 28-year-old's grandma is at risk. So, for example, if, uh, if the schools are closed, so your kids are home, so you ask grandma to look over the kids after the kids, so you can go to work. So you go to work, and then you come back and thank grandma for looking over the after the kids, and and you infect grandma. It's those. It's that. It's trying to reduce the rate of transmission, Bob, which is all that can be done in in this circumstances. But I understand the economic pain. Your. Uh, that that will be taken if this goes on. But getting that number down. So it is an Italian, as the Surgeon General said. So we're not Italy. We can't be South Korea. It's too late for that. But we can be, we can get ourselves a little bit further away from Italy and a little bit closer to South Korea. Thanks for your call, Bob. We'll close things out in just a moment. My thanks to Mike. My thanks to Greg. My thanks, as always, to the great Mr. Snurdly. We have Ken Matthews. We have Todd Herman. And we have a guy called Rush Limbaugh. Coming in before the end of the week on America's number one radio show. Have a great rest of the day. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.